0: This is Joshua, chapters 3 to 5. This is one story of crossing the Jordan, but it's carried out into three chapters. And there's some repetition in here, and we'll talk about that. But as we look at it, the most important thing to pull out of this, aside from the miraculous parting of the, the, the river... Um, and how it resembled the Red Sea. The most important thing is the Ark. The Ark. The Ark is all through. The Ark of the Covenant is all through these three chapters. And the Ark was a small box. It wasn't real big. Three feet by nine inches. Two feet, three inches. Two feet, three inches. It wasn't a really, you know... I don't know, this is more than three feet. It may have been like this. It was covered or overlaid on the outside of the box and on the inside with gold. And the lid of it was solid gold, solid gold lid. And on top of the lid were the the cherubim that were kneeling with their, you've seen pictures of it with uh, wings like this, one on that side and one on this side. And it was symbolic, the presence of God was right above the cherubim there, the center. And this was to help give the people a, a, a manifestation, a realization, a symbolism that God is with them. So through these chapters, through this going over into the promised land, the main focal point here is God is with them. He is with them. God is leading them. He is going before them. That is the theme here. So when we look at chapter 3, we find Joshua rose early in the morning. And they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel. And they lodged there before they passed over. So here we have a 2 million people plus coming, getting close to that river, and this can be our river here, and it's flowing, and it's flowing quickly, um, and it's flowing with swollen banks. It's it's like really, you know, coming down from the spring rains, and it was like up on the banks of it. You've, we've all seen creeks and stuff where it looks like the water's come up and flattened all the, the grass and the vegetation and stuff, and then it kind of um, goes back down to where its natural riverbank was. So this river was up, and it was flowing, and it was flowing quickly. And the people are there, and they're going to be camping there for three days. So, here they are, all hanging along. They're all kind of on the banks of the river there, camped out deep in the thing. You know, this is a lot of people, a lot of sheep, a lot of cattle goats they got all their animals with them they got their little kids with them they you know they've got all these people that you know aren't good swimmers <laughs> and um and they're watching this this river for 3 days 3 days scratching their head probably wondering how are we going to do this how are we going to get from here to the promised land on the other side well in verse 2 At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Follow it. Follow God. Yet there'll be a distance of, you know, about a thousand feet. Um, and remember, all these people, and they're going to be watching this thing, and it's going to go. And they have to stay back a little bit so they can actually see it, because if you crowd too much around it, you're not going to be able to see it. And they, you're supposed to just pick up everything and follow it. Step of faith, you know? To cross over that Jordan wasn't going to be human engineering to do it. They couldn't. They weren't going to build a bridge. They weren't going to do all these barges. They weren't going to build up a dam. That wasn't the plan. To cross over into the Jordan, it was going to be a spiritual issue, and all eyes needed to be on the ark. All eyes needed to be on God. He was going to lead the way into there, and so verses 5 and 6 tells us what these people needed to do. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. What, wow, what kind of news is that? Consecrate yourself, get ready. You know, pray, purify yourselves. You know, don't do the normal thing. Set yourself aside to just really focus on God and um, get your mind in the right place to really focus on the Lord. Because he, with the anticipation that he is going to do wonders. I can't even imagine if we heard that today. He's going to do wonders through you tomorrow. So did anybody sleep that night, you wonder? I don't know. It would be kind of hard to sleep that night just with anticipation knowing what he was going to do. Because it looked pretty impossible. It looked utterly impossible to get this group of people over on the other side of the river. And so in verse 6... It says that Joshua said that priests, for the priests to take up the Ark of the Covenant. There we have it again. The Ark has already been mentioned several times already and passed on before the people. So they did. Step of faith. They took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. Follow the Ark. What a step of faith that was. Go ahead and follow God. Now, God doesn't hide from us, God is not like some of these pagan gods that we have to kind of figure out how to serve them or how to make them happy or what do they want god is there for us to see him and know him and to have a relationship with him he's not hiding from us so he goes on to say in verses 7 to 13 what he is going to do He's going to tell Joshua what his plans are, and he's going to encourage Joshua. And then Joshua, in, in return, is going to inform the people of God's plans and inform them. And isn't that how it goes? God's telling us what he wants us to do in this book, right? It's right here. There's nothing mystical, magical, hidden on how we need to relate to people, how we need to serve him, how we need to raise our children. It's all in here. Amen. Absolutely. It's the great best mental health book there is also. So we see in seven, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. That's what our questions are geared to also. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will, remember the I wills? I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know. They may know. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. God's going to take care of this. Joshua doesn't have to make some political speech or campaign or win the people over. God's going to exalt him so all the people will know that God is with him. As for you, in verse 8, you need to go and command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, there it is again, and you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Stand still. When I read that part, I thought, wow, what are they supposed to do? God's got his part. He's sovereign. He's got a plan. He's making it known to Joshua. Joshua's going to command the people. The priests are going to go down, and they're going to enter the, the riverbed, and they're going to stand Still. Where else do we have that? New Testament, Ephesians 6 just popped out at me. Put on the full armor of God, and what do we do? We stand, don't we? We're not fighting this battle. They're not going to get out there with, like I said, build a dam or engineer it or somehow. They're going to stand, stand. And so the priests do. Then Joshua informs the people in verse 9 what's going to happen. Verse 9. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out all the ites. All the ites are going so behold i love that verse that word is a great word behold it's almost like a a standing back in and in awe and reverence behold verse 11 the ark of the covenant of the lord of all the earth there's a little bit more of a description there now with the ark isn't there the the ark of the covenant of the lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the jordan so the ark was going to go through there first and lead the way. Um, God wants t- to be known. Um, and the whole idea of Jesus coming as the son of God, he's the manifestation of God. In Colossians 1.15 it says he is the image of the invisible God. God is not hiding from us. He wants us to know what he's doing. He wants us to know him. He wants us to trust him. And he is the God of all the earth is going to go before these people. Well, what's going to happen? In verse 12, it mentions the 12 men. We're not sure what they're going to do yet, but it mentions them. And in verse 13, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the lord the lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the jordan the waters of the jordan shall be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above uh, shall stand in one heap several words we want to pick out in there okay we've got the ark of the lord the lord of all the earth again acknowledged of all the earth nature also is going to the priests are going to enter into the waters, and it's going to be cut off. The waters are going to be cut off, not stopped, because we're going to use this phrase again when we get into the circumcision. Okay? Notice these terms, cut off. And it's going to pile up in a heap upstream. And it's going to probably keep piling up and piling up and piling up. And and the people of those towns must have just been in awe of what was happening here. The other word, the little phrase to look at is when the priests get down into the midst of the Jordan, they shall rest. The ark is going to rest. Are we doing battle? Are we what? We're just, it's going to be there and it's going to rest there. I guess they could have used the word stop or cease or halt. But the word used is rest. It's going to rest in the waters of the Jordan. And so the plan is out there, it's known, and in 14 and 15 the people start to go out. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant again before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, And remember, it was overflowing. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. And it was completely cut off. And the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over the dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan that's the plan god makes it very clear to joshua joshua makes it very clear to the people to the priests what's going to happen here and they need to believe it to trust it um, to take a step of faith and follow and then what we see happen with the river it completely dried up god's faithfulness the sovereign god is going to do what he says he's going to do he doesn't just say stuff or back down on it he just doesn't say okay you guys need to get from there to there go ahead figure it out i gave you a brain whatever when he asks us to do something he goes before us and we have to trust him so this was a huge huge feat that happened now chapter 4 We get into and it's going to do some repeating of this of what happened in this event but it's also going to let us know that we need to remember it and what a beautiful picture of that's how we remember things we repeat them and we tell them over don't we and we tell them over and we we share about it and we write about it and so here we have it in god's word that we're going to say it over again because if we didn't have it written down here and it's not in his history books. If, it, if this event happened back then and no one shared about it, we would never know about it, would we? We would never know. So we are knowing about it now because we're reading about it in God's word and we're supposed to study God's word and it's letting us see how he takes care of his people, how he takes care of us. So he's going to make a memorial now. And he commands Joshua... In, in chapter 4 to um, make a memorial of this. He selects 12 men. I'm not going to read verbatim on this one. 12 men, okay, and they're supposed to go get 12 stones, one, one man from each tribe, one stone from a specific place, which is from the where the priests were standing in the middle of the Jordan on dry ground. There are probably some really big rocks around there or whatever. These 12 men are to go down there, each picking up a stone, carrying it on their shoulder, and they're going to carry it some distance. So these guys, who Joshua has selected, are probably pretty stout guys, okay? And they're going to go, and they're going to get a stone, and for a man to carry a stone on their shoulder for quite a ways... People are guessing it probably is going to be a way about 50, 75 pounds or so, less than hundred pounds to do that, to carry that stone that far. So that kind of gives you the idea of how large the stones were. So they go down and they pick those up and they carry them out. Um, why were they going to do this? In verse 6 and 7, it tells us very plainly, so that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in the times to come. What do these stones mean? We don't know what, what Joshua, how he laid them out. We don't know what he did with them. We, you know, there's some ideas. There's some uh, uh, ceramic, mosaic um, pictures on some ancient floors that map out um, Gilgal and the area there, and there's one picture of a looked like a church building and, you know, two rows of six rocks. That's what they're guessing. So whether or not it was laid in two parallel rows or he piled them up, whatever, we can just imagine little kids, hey, why are these rocks sitting here like this? <laughs> right? So isn't that... I love God when he uses little children to to get our attention. Hey, why why are these rocks like this over here? I've never seen rocks that hang out like this before. And there you get the story of the great crossing of the Jordan, what God did that day. So they're going to go ahead and put these rocks up so the children will ask and to pass it on. That's the memorial that's going to be built. Um, So... Oh, I wandered and lost my strength. So it's the stones, okay. The people did, in verse 8, exactly just as Joshua commanded. Everything about that day, they did exactly what how Joshua was told to do it by God. They took up the stones and they did that. And verse 9 is a, is a verse we're going to, take a little bit of a peek at here. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Well, when I first read that, I thought, oh, are they there to this day? Have they commercialized it and built, you know, sell tickets to get there and stuff, you know, like they do with a lot of stuff in Israel? And uh, I couldn't find anything. And then I started to ponder what's going on with this and dug in a little bit more. They cannot locate where these stones are. Um, But Joshua is writing this. And Joshua is probably 80 years old when when they went through the Jordan. He's probably 80 years old. Okay? And at the end of this book here, he's 110. So when he is writing this, those stones were still there today. After he wrote about it, The stones didn't have to stay there anymore because we have the written word about it now, right? So we have the memorial, we have the remembrance of it carrying on. The other um, little scratcher head on this verse is, are there two memorials or one? Did any of you come across that? Joyce is giggling, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I grappled with that. Well, if you're going to put rocks in the middle of a river, they're not going to really stay there very long. So, some commentaries, they do believe there were two, And because when the waters went down for a drought, there was a memorial there too. But we know now that they're, they're not there on the land, so why would they keep them on, in the middle of the river? So here's one, one idea. And again, it's an idea... Everything I say up here, you double-check on it yourselves, okay? But here's one idea on this one. It could read like this. I think it's in the translation. And Joshua set up 12 stones from in the stones where he's identifying the stones that were taken from the midst of the Jordan and the place where the feet of the priests were bearing the Ark of the Covenant and where they stood. I think it's just a description of the stones that they took out of there to go ahead and place on the shore. Um, But nevertheless, it's a remembrance, and we're remembering that it happened, right? So we haven't lost anything in that. Um, We have the written word as a reminder so what an event, when we look back on this, what a what a marvelous, um, like the crossing of the Red Sea, I don't know, maybe this was even more miraculous, because the Red Sea kind of like pulled up on both sides, and they walked through, because it was a sea, this is a flowing river coming down, and all the water's being walled up over there, so they're similar, but different, just... A, a, Intervention, miraculous, supernatural intervention by God to to identify his people and to let his people know that he is a man, a God of his word. So they enter into the promised land. And the priest bearing the ark, and there it is again, stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished. And the people commanded Joshua, to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded them. And they all went through. And the people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and the priests passed over also, and then all the the, the other tribes, the, the warriors from the, the east side, they also went over armed, ready for battle to fight. And they're all over on that other side. That was paraphrase of verses 10 to 13 they're all over there they went in haste it wasn't a panic like oh my gosh hurry up get going before the water starts coming it's coming 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 hurry up let's get over the car it wasn't that kind of haste I would like to venture to think it was an a an anticipation of finally pinch me is this really happening today Excitement, And when I first started to think about it, I thought, oh, it would be like Black Friday. I don't do Black Friday, but I see these people on Black Friday. And I thought, no, scratch that out. It's not like Black Friday. It's not agreed like that. And then I thought, well, is it like a wedding day or something, or the birth of a baby, or what could this possibly be? Like? These people had been waiting for this day for over 500 years. It had passed down this promise of this conquest from generation to generation to generation. And now it was actually happening it must have seemed surreal. The, the excitement to go just must have been just bursting. Like, let's here it is. Let's go. There's the land. We're finally here. Is it going to be all they say it is? Land flowing with milk and honey. Let's get over there. That's what I think the people were in a in a haste about to get over there. And in verse fourteen of chapter four, on that day. The Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all the Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. God fulfilled two promises on that day. First one, getting the people into the land, and the second one, exalting Joshua in the eyes of the people for his entire life. He's a God of his word, and his promises will be fulfilled. In his time. So then we see in verse 15, the storyline backs up a little bit more, and he goes through the story again, talking about the Ark of the Covenant and what they're going to do and getting the memorial up, and um, the Lord your God dried up the waters in verse 23, and they all went over, they passed over. It's repeated again. The retelling of stories or events is not uncommon in scripture we have the genesis account we have the days and then it backs up a little bit it tells us again kind of about what happened with that so when something is repeated it it gives accuracy to the details Um, it happened because none of the details have changed in this it's all the same so there's an accuracy and there's a truth to it This happened, and every time you tell it, it's going to be the same thing, because it actually happened. So that's the redundance, the reiteration, the retelling of this is going on, okay? Um, And it is truly an event to remember. And in verse 24, the last verse of chapter 4, it says this, So that all the peoples of the earth may know, that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. That's why it happened. And that's why we're to remember it, that that we may know. We know, we know, we know that this event happened. The hand of the Lord is mighty, and that we will fear the Lord our God forever. Well, if we just sneak down into chapter 5 of verse 1, we can see that God's plan came out the way he wanted it to come out. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites and all and who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were there by, by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters in the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. They had great fear. And they just dissolved like putty. Just out of the knowledge of who God is and what he did to these people. Their worst nightmare. What was a, a miraculous victory for the Israelites became the pagan world's worst nightmare. Amen. We are warriors. <laughs> so the Canaanites were terrified When they saw him on the other side of the river, probably thinking, there's no way they're going to get over here. And then all of a sudden, boom, there they are. Blink and the year was a horrible day for them, but a great day for those who believe in the one true God of all the earth. He is sovereign, and what he says is going to happen is going to happen. So we're supposed to remember this event. And so in chapter 5, our last chapter here, we have some remembrances. Two specific things: circumcision, which is a sign of the covenant, and the Passover, which is a a a um. I want to say feast, um, Passover, Our Lord's Supper. This doing remembrance of me, um, uh, something that we do ritual. I don't know. That's not even a very good word either. But you girls know what I mean. To remember that. What God did of taking the people out of Egypt in captivity. So in verses 28, two, I mean verses two to eight, it goes down. And he starts talking about the circumcision, and and Joshua is supposed to go ahead and get some flint knives and get them going, and you know all the men are shivering in their boots. This was a huge thing to ask them to do, a commitment to do. This is a painful event for a grown man, teenagers, whoever they had there. Um, to be able to, to get circumcised like this. So it wasn't something they were really looking forward to do, but it was something that God was telling them to do, a step of obedience with this. This would totally disable their army, totally. And they knew that because they knew their history, and they knew back in Genesis 34 when Simeon and Levi got really mad because Shechem violated their sister, Dinah. Remember that story? They, and Shechem apparently loved Dinah. He still violated her. He loved her, though, and he wanted to make it right. So, okay, well, we can intermarry. Then I love her. I want to marry her. But they weren't supposed to intermarry, so that wasn't a good resolution for that. So they, the boys, you know, decided, well, okay, if you all get circumcised, then we'll let you marry our sister. They had no intention of doing that. But they knew that if they had these guys all circumcised, they'd be in great pain for a long period of time. So that's what they did. They said, okay, okay, we'll do that. And their king, Shechem, the Shechemite king said, yeah, we'll do that because we want to, you know, my son really loves Dinah, blah, blah, blah. So three days later, Simeon and Levi went in and slaughtered them all. They got in trouble for this, but that was the plan. So this was in the people who just passed over the Jordan. This was in their thinking. We're going into a land where there's giants. We're going into a land where there's pagan people who, you know, are going to hate us. At this point, do they know their hearts have melted and they were kind of defeated anyways? I don't know. But they go ahead and they get circumcised. The circumcision is a mark of the covenant. It's a cutting off of the foreskin. It's the cutting off of the water. They pass through. God cut off the water. We cut off the foreskins. So this is a covenant, a picture of the covenant that, that God made with Abraham back in Genesis 15 to 17. He talks to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you this land. And this is a sign of the, this covenant between you and me that we will, it will be the circumcision. It's a divine seal that's there. And so to be circumcised, that's the human response to God's promise that was made hundreds of years prior. So in verse 9 of chapter 5, they all go and get circumcised in verse 8. Um, Yeah, let's stick with verse 8. And when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed and the lord said to joshua today i have rolled away the reproach of egypt from you and so the name of the place is called gilgal to this day god has rolled away the reproach he has taken away the shame of being slaves in egypt he has almost like Put their feet on new solid ground. He has renewed them. It's almost like we've been taken from the dominion of darkness and put into the kingdom of the Son He loved. God made a a supernatural identification change. I've rolled the shame away. You're no longer uh, known as the slaves of Egypt. You're now known as my my nation, my mighty nation. God was getting an a, a army ready to go in and conquer this land. This land was filled with pagan people. And when we get in there, I know I'm going to have some bleeding hearts out there that say, Oh, he killed the babies and everything. These people, at this time, God waited long enough until the reproach and the evil that was in this land was so horrific, God had to act. That's what's going on. It's not just, oh, people that just don't know Jesus or God. They were horrible people. Evil, evil, evil running its course is just, you, you don't even have the imagination to go there. And now is the time that God brought his army in to conquer the land and clear all that stuff out. So he was building an army, rolled it away. He's a conqueror. We're going to find out at the end. And when I saw that word rolled away, the, the shame and the reproach, it just made me think of the rolling away of the stone in front of the tomb. The tombstone. Did you, I mean, the tombstone was rolled away. Jesus, when he came, the biggest thing he conquered was death and sin. So these are conqueror words here. And we see rolled away. Um, and there's no more reproach there. So we have the circumcision, and the second thing that we have is the Passover. In verse 10, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover because it was the right time of month for them to do that. And the day after the Passover, here's another day to celebrate. No more manna. No more manna. They could eat of the fruit of the land. The land flowing with milk and honey, and they could bake, and they could just, mm-mm, all that wonderful stuff. No more manna, that ceased. And they ate of the fruit of the land of Cana that year. Wow, what a day of celebration for these people. Okay. So the memorial's there. They've got the circumcision, the new covenant in place, or a symbolism of that. They've celebrated the Passover and all the things that God has done. God has readied his army for battle. He won their hearts, or he got their hearts renewed. He got them all in line with Joshua, who's going to be leading them through all this stuff. And then in the end of chapter 5, we see Joshua by himself. I assumed he's by himself. Maybe I shouldn't assume that. When Joshua was by Jericho in verse 13, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, was he praying? Was he down? Was he worshiping God? Whatever. He lifted his eyes up. And behold, there's that word again, behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said, no. Some of you say neither in your translation. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. This is Jesus himself standing right there. The commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Now I have come. The time was right. The people, the evil people in the land have reached a point where now is the time to move his army in and clear the land. And so Joshua falls on his face. How do we know this is Jesus? Because other times when man would fall on their face before an angel, the angel would say, no, get up, don't worship me, right? He didn't say that. He falls on his face to worship Jesus because it was appropriate to worship God. What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals for your feet from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy and joshua did so great obedience clear commandments clarity in what god is telling joshua joshua is telling the people the people taking a step of faith god being faithful and having everything follow through a remembrance of this submission and obedience the sovereign god will do what he says he's going to do and these promises, the things that he says in this book, are for us too. He will take care of us. We are a part of the Lord's army. We are. We are. We go to battle. <laughs> we go to battle. It's not a time to turn and turn away, but to be ready, sanctified and ready, eyes on God, obeying the entire word. Several times in here, we had the... They. they obeyed exactly as Joshua commanded them. Did you catch that? Not a pick and choose, not a, oh, well, I'll send my brother to go get the rock. I'm too tired. Or maybe two of us will carry it or whatever, or we'll only get 10, or maybe I'll get an extra rock because we have a bigger tribe. None of that. It was done exactly the way God commanded. This book is not to be messed with. And in the end, it even says anyone that adds it or subtracts from it, There's bad curses that come. And we say some sin in here that it says is sin. And we say, no, it's not sin. That's messing with it. So, I get off on these things. I'm going to pull myself back right now. (laughs) But for today, for us, eyes on God, obeying the entire word of God. And he will get us through any troubled waters that are out there. He will get us through any kind of financial collapse of the dollar, lack of food, high gas price. You know what? As God's people, we don't have anything to worry about. We just need to be eyes on him and be obedient to this. God, we are so thankful that you love us that much, that you're going to take care of us and clear the way for us if we just keep our eyes on you. Give us the ability to 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 obey the desire to obey and we thank you for the blessings that you have for us may you be glorified amen